Welcome to the Class of 1987 podcast. I'm your host, Tim Harkness. On this podcast, we will be speaking with members of the Yale College Class of 1987 about their lives, where they've been, where they are now, and where they are going. We plan to cover a wide range of topics and have people who represent the full range of our class's experience. The class of 1987 is the best class that Yale College has ever had, and we're here to celebrate that. So sit back and listen to what your classmates have to say. Terrific. Well, welcome, everyone, to the next edition of the Yale 87 podcast series, uh, where we're interviewing our classmates in anticipation of the upcoming reunion in 2022. And with me today is Caprice Young. Hi, Caprice. Thanks for coming. Yay. I'm so glad to be on the phone with you, or rather, you know, on the podcast with you. (laughs) Whatever it is we are. (laughs) We're together virtually. So where are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm actually in my for my daughter's former bedroom, which has now become my office for COVID. All right. All right. And so what do you, what do you do in California? So I'm an educator. And so I have uh, spent the last 20 years really focused on creating great education for kindergarten through 12th graders. And it's just been an absolute joy. And my, my current focus, and for the last several years, I've really been focusing on students who, for a variety of reasons, have dropped out or been pushed out or been left out of the education system and getting them back on track and helping them launch into their lives with success. So when you went to college, was it your aim to do what you're doing now? Oh, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I just... (laughs) Yeah, I think I I probably, uh, if you would have asked during college, I would have told you that I was going to go do something in international affairs, probably in some Central American country or foreign service, something like that. But what happened was after college, I came back to Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. And I did a Coro Public Policy Fellowship and realized that there was as much to get done to make the world better in my little tiny corner of it than in anybody else's corner. And it made the most sense just to stay here and do what I could. I see. So, and you you ultimately got an advanced degree? I did. Yeah. Along the way, I got a master's in public policy and a doctorate in education leadership. And you've had a variety of roles in education. I know you were on the uh, school board for Los Angeles for a time. Is that right? Yeah. I started my career actually working with high-risk kids in uh, East and South LA and then, you know, couldn't pay off my student loans. So I started working in finance and did public finance for a little while and then went into technology and was working first for the mayor of Los Angeles in technology and then for IBM doing technology, web enablement of legacy systems during the 90s. And along the way, ran for the school board in Los Angeles and won. And so from 99 until 2003, I was um, on the school board and two years of it president of the school board and responsible for 740,000 young people. That's an awesome responsibility. So you've stayed in education since. You know, what do you think are the biggest issues that you have to tackle now? Uh, well, you know, I think that the, the biggest challenge right now, it, it's hard not to 
it's hard not to say COVID, right? I mean, the, the pandemic uh, had a profound, profound impact on education globally. And more than anything else, I think what it's really unearthed is all of the sort of deep, deep inequity in education, not just in the United States, but globally. In some ways, though, it, it makes room for a real opportunity. And so the, the biggest thing I think we have to face up to in education is that deep inequity. And by that, I don't mean that, well, you know, we should have everybody have exactly the same education. I think what we all have to recognize is that different students need different education and different resources and different supports. And so we have to really profoundly change what we're doing in education to be able to support families. And are you optimistic that those changes can come? And that's a loaded question. I know there's yeah, a lot going loaded. on in, he, he in the world right a, now. He caught me on an optimistic day, but I can tell you there are definitely days that are I'm not optimistic. I think that the biggest disillusion for me um, since college has been how the good guys and bad guys don't fall along the same lines that I thought they did when I was in college. What do you mean by that? That's an intriguing statement. You know, I think it's kind of old hat that, right, they say, well, if you're not a if you're not a, a Democrat or a socialist when you're 20, you've got no heart. If you're not a Republican, by the time you get to 50, you've got no brain. And I have definitely stayed with all of my idealism around wanting to be able to support improving the world and improving the world in the contexts of making sure that students can have real opportunities to um, to grow in their lives and to make their own dreams real. But I think I also would have told you when I was 20 that the teachers union were the good guys and the corporations were the bad guys. And while I wouldn't say that it's reversed, I would definitely say that it is a lot more complex than I thought it was then. And oddly, as a lefty education reformer, I find myself coming up against the status quo as it's represented by the teachers union more often than I do corporate interests who really want to see kids graduate with great skills. And so it's, um, it's been kind of a, a shocker for me, I would say, of, the, of all of the things in the last uh, 30 plus years, that's been the most disillusioning. So what are the things that you brought from your education or your time even before Yale to your job now? Like as you look back on it, what are the, yeah. the main tools you, you bring to the job uh, and your world outlook that you either brought from college or your life before college? Well, I didn't talk about it a lot in college, but I was actually raised in a foster family. My parents, my biological parents were the foster parents. And so I had 36 brothers and sisters before I went off to college. And they came from all kinds of different backgrounds. We had the boys' room and the girls' room and a couple of sets of bunk beds in each room. And the most we ever had in the house at any one time uh, was seven kids. But, but growing up in that very, very diverse multicultural family where people were always coming and going, I think had a really big impact on me. And it, it also meant that I, had a, I still have a, a really deep sense of empathy and I tend not to make as many assumptions about people as I see some of my peers making. And I just think that's just comes from having grown up in such a diverse context and not just like knowing people who are really different from me, 
but actually being in love with them as a family and taking their side as a family and battling as siblings do. You know, I think all of that really impacted my world outlook on, on ways in ways that I didn't really um, fully understand until I got older and started to do some introspection about all of that. But w- what it also has meant, I think, is that um, I'm incredibly pragmatic, right? So it's just not about ideology anymore. It's about really the hard work of making sure that we have great teachers and great resources in the schools or in family contexts so that kids can succeed. And I really don't much care what the ideology is around how that gets done. What I'm looking for is that the students, that the kids are successful. And that really, I think, is what my personal background brings to it, is just this pragmatism. How do you define success for your students? When you were saying making sure they're successful, really, what does that look like? And I say that as a parent who lives in Greenwich, Connecticut, and have all the craziness of this part of the world and success is seen as getting into, you know, one of two or three different colleges and other than that, not so much, which is a, an idea that I categorically reject. But um, in any <laughs> event, how, how do you see success? Well, you know, I see it. Every single human being has the right to dream and to have aspirations for themselves, for the world. I I want to see students learn how to dream. And not that I want them to dream my way, but I want I want them to have the kind of optimistic outlook where they say to themselves, my dreams are worthwhile and I have a right to, to pursue them. An awful lot of kids get to be 17, 18 year old, years old and they just don't feel that way. And that transcends ethnicity, it transcends socioeconomics, but that's the, the number one thing is students having ownership over their own dreams and then actually having the skill sets to be able to pursue and make those dreams happen. And it's not fair to have kids dream and not support them in attaining the skill sets that they need to make it happen. You got to be able to do both. And a lot of times our schools, they crush the dreams of a lot of students by telling them that they're stupid, the dreams are stupid, or the students stupid, or that they're unrealistic. And then in other times, they say, yeah, dream. But when it comes to learning to write, and learning to do math, and learning to communicate, and learning to to think um, critically, they're not following through, the schools are not following through on that. So in some ways, that's even worse, because then the students have dreams, but they don't have they don't have the personal resources to be able to be successful. So when I think of what's the definition of a successful kid, it's a kid who has that kind of confidence to dream and the skills to make those things happen. Wow. What a message. I I have to say that that hits home personally for, for me, we had a, we have a daughter graduated from college in May. Um, And when she was in second grade, there was a teacher who, told her she was not as smart as her parents thought she was. And she was probably a little bit lazy and basically humiliated her. And, you know, that's evil. That's just like straight up evil. Oh, it it was horrible. And it took us many years to undo this. And we found out that we tried to look at what was happening and found out she was dyslexic. And now we're two motivated, highly educated parents with means, and we're able to right the ship and get 
our daughter the help she needed. And um, with the support of her siblings and and some wonderful teachers and some amazing programs, we're able to get her going. And she graduated summa cum laude with a degree in math. So she wow. did her, But it was interesting. <laughs> the night she graduated, she posted something on TikTok that basically referred to that earlier teacher to say, see, <laughs> I actually could do it. And, you know, didn't mention the teacher by name, but that was, you know, that resonated for her for for a long time and still today. So I hear what you're saying, what a powerful role teachers have. And I, I was lucky enough to have mostly good teachers before college, but so many people don't. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, we have that in common to my, uh, my middle daughter. We discovered that she was dyslexic early on. She didn't actually learn to read until she was in eighth grade. And she just graduated this year from the Tisch School of Art at NYU. All of the goals that she set out for herself, she she got them done. She did them. And now she's making new goals and you know, setting out new dreams. And you know, one of the things that she's discovered, too, in all of that is that she may not have all of the skill sets she needs to make her dreams come true, but she can surround herself with people who can support making her dreams come true. And so that has been a huge thing for her that she doesn't have to be great at everything. She just has to be able to have the humility to surround herself with the people who can support her and support her dreams. And, and that's been massive. That's, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. How many kids do you have? So I've, I've three girls. My youngest is 19 my oldest is 25 and my middle daughter's 22. So I'm kind of an empty nester and kind of not because sometimes they show up for a while and then they leave again. My oldest after college went off to Korea for a couple of years to teach English and is now back and making a new plan for now that she's back from Korea. So I'm not an empty nester exactly right now, but when, you're, uh, when your adult kid is home, it, it's definitely not the same as if they're eight. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We have one left. I suppose and, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, so we've got one left, and she has now decided that being the fourth of four was much better to have everyone in the house because she got a lot less attention. And now she is completely persuaded that our role in the world is to torment her because now she's the only <laughs> one at home. But in any event, we are not here to torment our daughter. We're here to love her, and she cannot wait to go to college next year. Oh, that's going to be great. I think she she's you know she's going to love it. I, I think, you know, we're all at that age right now where our kids are kind of in that launch stage. Either they've just been launched or they're about to be launched. And so it's a time of real transition. Yeah. And I tried to explain to one of our kids the other day that it was a transition for him, but it's also a transition for me. So, you know, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's some very good things about it and some things that make me very proud, but some things that make me a bit sad and nostalgic for the time when. Sunday afternoon, we'd have everybody around the table at dinner. So any event, I cherish those times. I certainly do. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Please remember that this podcast is being brought to you by the 35th reunion of the greatest class Yale College has ever known, the great class of 1987. Our reunion will be in New Haven, Connecticut, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Pearson College. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the conversation. 
So, so let me just ask you this. You know, when you look at sort of your career and your family, what are the things that you see going forward are going to be the things that you're going to spend your time on? How are you going to focus things? Are you sort of still very engaged in what you're doing professionally? Oh, or engaged, yeah. The last decade or so, I've been doing turnarounds of education organizations, school, dis- school district kind of situations or charter school systems, nonprofits that focus on education. I also did a, a turnaround and sale of a for-profit education entity. And, and a lot of those things have been like fixing things as opposed to starting things. And early in my career, I started an organization called the California Charter Schools Association and was very much part of building public charter schools nationally and loved that. And I think, um, you know, as I look at the next 20, 30 years, and I'm not planning on retiring. I'm just not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, neither am I. I just, I, I, I just... Don't see it ever stopping. I, I don't well, know if I'll always do what I'm doing, but I'm always going to be doing something. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to like the freedom that comes with not having, you know, any any sort of quote work pressure uh, and just being able to do my own projects. But you know, I really over the next over the next couple of decades, I want to do I want to do more things that I'm driving as opposed to things that I'm fixing, and that's a big one for me. Also, um, I have uh, been taking on board positions. In, on companies and nonprofit organizations, and really love that because it's a it's a great opportunity to to work with other extraordinarily talented people, thinking strategically and looking at ways for organizations to be super effective. And the boards that I'm I'm on right now, one of the companies that I'm on the board of is called Olivella, which is spelled like. O-L-I-V-E-L-A, like an olive L-A, Olivella. And it is so fun and cool. What we do is we sell extraordinarily high-end fashion for women, and we give the money to good causes. So women can buy just that great dress or that really wonderful piece of jewelry that they want to give to their daughter as an heirloom. And then the proceeds go to educating refugees, or supporting women who are going through cancer. And so we're making money and doing good at the same time. And there's this whole movement now referred to as ESG. And it's basically looking at at corporations and saying, you don't just have a responsibility to make money for your shareholders. You also are going to do a better job of making money for your shareholders and for your owners if you're doing it in the context of not messing up the environment and being socially responsible to your employees and stakeholders and having good transparent governance. And so I've been involved with with some of that more and more and really, really, really enjoy it. Um, and it's, it's exciting that business people are really focused on essentially using using capitalism as a way to make the world a better place. And I think that blew away a lot of my stereotypes when I was younger. I was raised in this socialist household where money was a dirty word. And if you made money, you must have committed some kind of awful crime. And you know, what I've discovered is that there are a lot of people doing a lot of good. And I've really enjoyed being being part of making that happen. That is an exciting, exciting part of the world. I do some ESG work and I'm a litigator, so sometimes things have gone not so right when we're 
doing <laughs> ESG work. And one of the interesting questions is what what is good corporate citizenship? Because there are cultural mores, political mores that go into defining that. And I think that'll be the one of the defining issues of the next decade is is wrestling with what makes uh, good corporate citizenship. Because there are times when it is black and white, but there are plenty of other times when things are really quite murky and what the right thing to do is might be difficult to discern. It might be easy to discern in hindsight, but sometimes at the time, not so easy. Well, and one of the co- companies where I'm um, serve on the board, it's a it's a company that provides transportation for disabled kids to get to school, and uh, one of our one of our initiatives is to try and and have an environmentally sound system of transportation, and basically have our drivers, all of whom are independent or work for small business suppliers for us, have them be in hybrid or clean vehicles. And so as we've been really sinking our teeth into making that happen, there are some interesting challenges that come up. We could buy them all electric cars tomorrow, but since most of them are working for between $20 and $35 an hour, they're living in apartment complexes where there'd be nowhere for them to plug them in. And so just operationally figuring out how to do the good work can sometimes can sometimes be really interesting. And I love solving those problems. So let me switch gears just a little bit here. So we're going to get together uh, at our fifth, 35th reunion in June, which I hope you come. I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> uh, excellent. Excellent. So let's say 15 years from now, we're getting ready for our 50th reunion and we're having another one of these conversations. What is it that you want to be able to say 15 years from now? that you accomplished, you experienced, or you did that you haven't done uh, I yet. definitely still want to be alive. That's a biggie. Um, okay, I'm with you on that one. I do plan to do this again with you in 15 years. So that's, that's okay. sort of a prerequisite of my question. Well, I almost wasn't because at our reunion five years ago, I was in the middle. I did come to the reunion, but I was also in the middle of chemotherapy and radiation treatments because I was undergoing cancer treatment at the time. So it wasn't necessarily a no-brainer that at our 50th reunion, I would still be around. And it's it's actually thanks to Yale that I am still alive because the first person I called when I found out about the cancer was my roommate, Mei Tao, who grew up to be the top radiation oncologist in the country and over the next 18 months saved my life. And you know, my, my mom... Uh, my mom said, well, for the first time in a long time, I'm really glad that I paid for that Yale education. I would guess so. Wow. And you're healthy now? 100% healthy now. In fact, you know, actually having cancer, if you survive it, has some real silver linings. Because you, you discover, I discovered first how to keep myself healthy, what things cause me stress that's going to make me unhealthy uh, to stay away from, but also... It puts it put my priorities in perspective, and um, so I don't do a whole I don't do a whole lot of worrying about little things, and I hope I think that the influence that I have on the people around me is to you know skip the little things and focus on things that really really matter, and that's really different. It was been a, a huge change for me, and I'm glad for it. And 15 years from now. 
Boy, I would I would love to be able to say that all of my children and my husband are happy and healthy and thriving in whatever they choose to to do, and that I've been uh, more support and less nag in in that process. I I also really hope that I'm able to have a positive influence on this next generation of entrepreneurs, and also that we've made some real transformative change in education, at least in the United States, if not internationally, so that all kids, no matter what their background is, can have access to dreaming and fulfilling their dreams. I know that sounds all like real pie in the sky, but I have seen members of our class do phenomenal work. And it's humbling and it's exciting. I mean, I think about folks like James Essex from our class, who is like, the person more responsible than probably anyone else for marriage equality and for the rights of people to love who they want to love and do it with legal, the legal support that they need. And he's been amazing. And I would, I would love to have that kind of impact. But if I even had like one thousandth of that impact, I would just feel amazing and phenomenal. That would be a heck of a legacy. For sure. I actually had a couple more questions, and then we can uh, go to our lightning round, um, which I didn't warn you about. Uh What was it like to put your life in the hands of someone you knew when you were 18 years old? I have to say, you know, I I look at what some of our classmates do, and I am in awe of them. Uh, And we have one of our sons in medical school, and I, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that he is going to be treating people. And He's going to be amazing. And I have no doubt Mei Tao is an unbelievable doctor. It was the biggest blessing I could possibly have. It, it absolutely was because she picked all of my doctors. She picked my surgeon. She picked my chemohematologist. She picked a new general care provider for me. I, you know, I have a doctorate in education, but navigating the healthcare system, holy smokes, that's just really hard. And it's especially hard to do while you're sick and afraid. And so to have somebody that I trust, you know, 400%, literally trusting her with my life, that that was just the biggest blessing. Uh, because I had no doubt, not one iota of a doubt the entire time that I was getting the very best medical care I could possibly get. And that the person who was helping me make all those decisions was somebody who knew me so well that she could make the decisions in some ways better than I could because she didn't just know me. She also knows what's good for me. That's just wonderful. Yeah. I, I just, I wish everyone could have that kind of experience with their healthcare in, in terms of just really feeling confident that what's happening is the right thing. I agree. I agree, 100%. So we do finish these things off with a little bit of a lightning round, which are fun questions that are meant to uh, get quick responses. So just to put you on the spot, (laughs) best professor you took at Yale? Oh, wow. Well, public policy, Tufty. Tufty was amazing. He's the one who made me realize that math totally rocks and that statistics are so powerful. And... um, I've, that has that has really carried me a long way. Favorite movie? 
Harold and Maude. Musician you haven't seen yet, you'd most like to see. Oh, I don't know. Um, I go to a lot of music stuff, so I've, I I live near the Hollywood Bowl. I go to the music. All right, I, so I let go. me really change it. What's the last musician you saw? <laughs> I heard, oh, the, oh, the last musician I saw was actually at Dodger Stadium, and it was uh, Weezer and Fall Out Boy and Green Day. And, All right, what's uh, the best concert you've ever been to? Oh, I was at a U2 concert that was phenomenal, but I'll have to tell you the sing-along to Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Hollywood Bowl is really fun. That sounds like it. That sounds like it. All right. Yes or no, should we bring 1980s fashion back? No, hell no. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) And definitely not 1980s hair. (laughs) I don't have 1980s hair. I couldn't bring it back if I wanted to. Oh, my goodness. All right, final question. Sally's or Peppies? Oh, Peppies. No question. Although I probably had more Wawa dogs than anything else. Fair enough. I was partial to the Park Street sub, so I used to get the the Philly cheesesteaks. That was my go-to. But I'm more of a Sally's person, I have to say. I like their clientele. Uh, Well, then there's always ramen noodles in your hot pot. During oh. the uh, during the strike, that's true. That is true. I'd say uh, we have one son who's a freshman in uh, college, first year student uh, out in Michigan, and he's got a, a case of ramen. He loves it. Um, so <laughs> I sort of brought it was sort of like was brought back all this flood of memories when we were stocking his his dorm room. So with that, I just wanted to say thank you. It's been lovely talking to you and catching up. For those of you who have tuned in, thank you for spending some time with Caprice Young. Oh, I forgot to mention you are from the best college Yale has ever had. Morse College. (laughs) The college with no right angles. That's right. But the best people. I think there there are a few, few of our classmates that might dispute that, but we'll just we can agree right here today that that's well, the truth. Well, and it has been a pleasure chatting with you and seeing your big smile, even though the podcast people can't see your smile. It's that smile that got me through a lot of college. Well, thanks so much, Caprice. In a world where people were isolated by a pandemic, forced to live their lives remotely in an endless parade of Zoom meetings, one Yale College class dared to break the mold. The Yale College class of 1987 is planning what no Yale College class has ever tried before, at least not for a while. An in-person reunion, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022. We will be gathering in Pearson College. Be there for engaging discussions, nightly revelry, and way too much New Haven pizza, if there ever could be such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask, what do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th college reunion. Be there. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me 
at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.